much emphasis is put on the technical part early in somebody's career. And technical aspects are absolutely important. I don't want to say that they aren't, but so is the non-technical. So is learning how to take care of yourself and manage your well-being. Hi everyone, welcome to Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this very podcast. Well, thank you for joining us today. As always, we have an interesting and unique guest that generously shared their time to discuss their career path with us so we could glean insights along the way. This week's guest was Amber Setter. Amber started out as an accountant, just like the rest of us, but very quickly realized that it was truly the people interaction and development activities that she enjoyed. So fast forward through a few experiences that she's going to share with us. And now she is a professional certified coach that spends most of her time working with accountants just like you. And I say just like you because she had valuable insights really for anyone at any point in their careers. We talked some in the second half of the interview about advice for those in the first few years of their careers, but she makes a lot of observations throughout the interview that, that really apply to all of us, no matter what your level may be. I personally grew from the experience myself. She definitely gave me a few things to think about when I reflect on my own career path. If you find value in this for yourself, please check us out online as well. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials there. We have books, blogs, other podcasts, tools for employers, and a few courses. And, And frankly, our courses are starting to gain a little more attention, so make sure you check that out as well. We have courses for people seeking new positions, and we also have courses for employers that are looking to strengthen their hiring processes, particularly in public accounting. You can find it all under courses on our website at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's our guest for this week, Amber Setter. Well, hello, Amber. Welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, for the audience, I am excited to be able to have this discussion today. We have Amber Setter on the line, and Amber is a professional certified coach, although she started her career in the early days in the accounting world, just like you and I. Pretty quickly, though, and she's going to tell us more about this, of course, she moved into the people development space, and she's made her career working in that field, primarily with those of us in the accounting profession. I'm excited about this for a couple reasons reasons. First of all, we're going to be able to talk a little bit about how a background in accounting can prepare you for for almost any path you want to take. But also, we're going to get into the area of professional development. And this show is all about professional development. Well, Amber, before we get into your current specialty, I always like to start at the beginning so people get an idea of, of how you got to where you are today. What initially caused you to think that accounting might be the career you were interested in in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the things I'm very proud of is that I went to community college and then I finished at State University and years later did my master's at a private institution. So I've seen lots of different educational settings, but I feel very grateful I went to a wonderful community college in the Bay Area. And 
I had been talking just with different people in my life and I met a really successful business person who was an entrepreneur that said you'd be great at marketing and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And there I was at community college taking the accounting class I needed to transfer into a business program and I loved it. The class, the concepts came really, really easy to me. I felt like I was getting A's on all the exams and didn't have to put much effort in and everyone else was failing. And as I started talking with people about you know, accounting as a career and a career path, it was very clear to me that it was a, it was a great choice. I'd get a job um, right after college, if not while in college, and have a really nice starting salary and that there was just a lot of opportunities available to me if I chose that profession. So I did. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. I was looking at your background and, you know, I definitely want to get into coaching and people development, but you do have some accounting background you know, from back yeah. in the day. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess, you know, take us through, way before you started your business, take us through the milestones in your career that happened prior to setting up Amber Setter Coaching and also how you even made that decision to transition into people development out of accounting. You know, what were the early accounting? counting years like and take us up to present? Yeah, so I, a couple of things that come to mind hearing that question. One is, I would say I was a little older or more mature when I actually started my job full time, which I wasn't that much older. I was 25, but that's different than being 21. And part of the reason for that was I took time off and I lived abroad and I went and worked as a nanny and saw the world. And so I think that kind of is important to the story because once I started working, I knew myself a little bit better and it only took me a couple busy seasons to realize that like, hey, I can do accounting, like I'm smart enough at it, but it's just not my natural strong suit. I still vividly remember there was a, another staff accountant in the cubicle next to me and she could do things in Excel twice as fast as I could. She was super detail oriented and that was not me. Like I was the one that loved going to every single Beta Alpha Psi event and was really involved on campus. I've just, I've always been more of a people person and a connector you know, in terms of milestones in my career, I would say even before I got into a full-time job, travel and getting to know myself and being a little older and, and what I wanted out of my life and my job were a little more easier to see. And then I, I made some shifts. I went to the firm I'd been working for and it was a great firm and I absolutely loved the people there and I loved everything the organization was about. And I had done a little bit of soul searching and talking with friends and said, you know, I really love I love going to Beta Alpha Psi. I love going back to campus. I love this kind of stuff. I think I'd be good at campus recruiting. And so that was the first shift that I made. I went from being a tax accountant to creating my own role at the time. So I was at a high growth firm. Um, they only had one recruiting manager and I said, I'd like to do recruiting. And they said, well, if you did recruiting, what would you do? And I came up with a list of like 10 things I would work on. And they said, yeah, we can use that. So it was a real win-win because it aligned what I was really interested in and my talents and skills and hunger to make some positive change for the firm with how the firm was growing. That's one pivot. I could keep going with others if you think it'd be helpful because I think the next detour, I did a master's in leadership studies and that was another kind of aha moment for me. Interesting. Yes, we can definitely go into that. I do have a question. I'm curious yeah. because you took a bold step and you said, hey, management, I, I think I'd be interested in another role here. And then they said, sure, design it for us, which <laughs> yeah. which is, is intriguing in and of itself. How 
large was the firm at that point? Because it's intriguing to me that they said yes, and they made a spot for you. I mean, is this a multi-office firm that you were with? Or Yeah. So at the time, the firm probably had about 100, maybe 100-ish or a little bit over people. And there were three offices, great firm in Northern California named Frank Rimmerman. They're much larger today. But I, you know, I think there's a couple things in that story. One is And kind of toot my own horn, like I, you know, I'd worked really hard. I understood accounting. I got it. I got along really well with the people. And so there was a way in which it was a good fit in terms of me being, you know, a contributor to the firm. In addition, I had done my homework. You know, I didn't just pull this, all these ideas, you know, out of nowhere. When I made a pitch in terms of, well, what would I do? I put a lot of thought into that, whether I had, you know, talked to some people in the organization that I knew and trusted and said, hey, well, what do you think about this? You know, or going and looking what are larger firms doing that we're not doing. So like at the time, that firm didn't yet have an internship. And, you know, you can't, if you're a public accounting firm, not only can you not have an internship to feed your talent line, like, or your talent, you have to also have a summer leadership program, right? It's so competitive. So I was coming in with like a student lens, as well as I had been an officer of Beta Alpha Psi. And so I knew a lot of best practices in terms of what all the different firms do. And I could see that firm I was with at that time didn't do some of those things. So that was part of the way that I made the business case for, I see a gap in the practice and I'd really love to fill this gap. Okay. Okay. So I want to make sure I get all the steps in the middle because I'm sure there's a few important points between your first you know, campus recruiting job to starting your own coaching business. So why don't you take us through that time? Yeah. So I would say I was very much like a lot of people that gravitate towards accounting, which I think is one of the tougher and more challenging business degrees, but very driven, type A, always saw myself wanting to earn a graduate degree. And when I realized I didn't want to do a master's in tax, the next place my mind went to was an MBA program. And as I started looking at the MBA programs, I saw that I was going to have to take an accounting and a finance class as part of the curriculums. And I thought, I'm not interested in that. You know, I don't, I don't know how much more I would learn in an accounting class at a graduate level than I did in a couple busy seasons. So when I didn't know, when I realized, hey, not an MBA, not an MST, what am I going to study? I was a little bit stuck. It took me some time, but just through exploring and going on the internet and talking with people, I found a a master's in leadership program. And that physically had me move from, I was in Northern California at the time, down to the University of San Diego down in Southern California. And it was an amazing experience. The school that I went to actually has three graduate degrees in leadership. They also have a doctorate in leadership, but I did my program, which is a master's of arts, not a master's of science over in their school of leadership and education sciences. And that program really was a a catalyst for my transformation. It really, you know, wasn't just academic while we certainly learned theories about organizational change and, you know, just how do you learn about just different theories on leadership? You know, what, how do you move and inspire people and put in change initiatives? A lot of it was like inner work, really reflecting and noticing like, well, who am I? And why do I think like this? And where does this come from? And so that just really, really inspired me because I thought, 
it was such useful information on how do people lead in their organizations and lead in their life. And quite frankly, I thought, why isn't this an accounting curriculum? You know, something like the organizational theory that we just don't teach people. We teach them all this really other important stuff about business, but we don't really teach them how to be a human being and interact with other human beings in the workplace. So from that, when I did my master's degree, I was very, very fortunate and supported and still worked for that employer that I had at the time where I'd been a campus recruiter. And so I actually had resigned and they said, we don't want to lose you. We, we could really use you. Would you be willing to work like a 75% reduced schedule remotely while doing your graduate program? And that was wonderful for me because you know, my school schedule would ebb and flow and campus recruiting ebbed and flow. There was times it was a little bit more than 75%. But for the most part, it was a, you know, a way that I could still have my medical benefits and, you know, make not like a starving student salary and get myself through grad school. And then when I completed my program, I was, I was still with the firm. And when I came back to going back to 100% schedule, they had a list of some different initiatives that they were interested in you know, putting more energy in. And they said, you know, look at this list. Is there anything that you'd want to do as you scale back up to 100%? And one of those options was creating a corporate university. And so that was amazing to me. It was super fun. Like I do love to coach. I love the people development aspect, but there's also a big consultant in me that loves to like find problems and solve them. Like kind of like I did with my campus recruiting position. So In that role, I ended up totally shifting eventually to doing that 100%, which was, again, in that high growth firm environment that went from like 100 to, you know, nearly 400, creating a corporate university from the ground up. So really organizing learning, centralizing learning, making sure that everybody became licensed that needed to be licensed with the CPA, that had the right continuing education that they need for their license, you know, based on whatever jurisdiction they're in or whatever work that they're up to, and then layering in, well, what are also the competencies? Like, what are the things that people need, you know, CPE aside, which is important, but also sometimes they just need classes to do their job, whether it's technical or non-technical. And in that role, I loved it. I loved everything that I was up to, and I really was doing a lot of the soft skills content and the onboarding and welcoming people in. And it was enjoyable so much that I got to a point where I thought, I know I'm helping everybody in the firm and I'm touching every person's life in some capacity, but I'm not necessarily touching them in the deeper way. And so that kind of aha, in addition to having a little bit of a breakdown, because I got this wild idea six years after bowing out of the technical part of the practice to become a CPA, which I did and took the exam and failed a bunch, but eventually overcame it through that kind of real struggle with the exam. And then also the soul searching of like, hey, I really want to help people in a deeper way. That's what got me into doing training to become a professional coach. Okay. At what point did you start your own business? So I started my own business. I had been working for 10 years um, for that firm. And I just kind of had this, I don't know, hunch inside of myself that it was time to leave the nest. I just really wanted to spread my wings and start my own coaching practice. I did that and I was on my own for three years. And then I pivoted into being an internal coach for a period of time. Okay. Are you an internal coach now or, or are you back? I'm back on my own. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so you learn, right? Like, I mean, partly I've learned like, well, what is the work 
that's me in my highest expression. So when I was on my own for three years, I really loved being a professional coach. And at that time, I was just really on my own. I didn't partner and collaborate with people much. And then an opportunity to interview and become an internal coach at PwC came up and I thought, well, this would be great. Like I get to coach. I'm on a team of coaches. I'd love that. And I really believe like wholeheartedly that coaching has professional coaching just has the potential to transform our profession. And I thought if I could be part of PwC, like the change on behalf of the whole profession, like that's, there's a lot of intrinsic rewards in that for me. And so that was, you know, some of the reasons that was driving me to take that role. And when I got there, I really, a lot of those things were wonderful and I enjoyed it, but all I did was coach. I didn't really get to design and solve problems and be that creator kind of entrepreneur part of myself because it's a big company. You know, they have instructional designers and everyone doing all of those important functions. So I learned that for me being by myself, now I have Amber that are coaching my private coaching practice. And then I also collaborate with other consultants on bigger engagements, whether if it's a firm wants to do a huge project or an organization wants to create something bigger, you know, there's value to having multiple coaches on different programs such as that. Okay. Tell us about the inner game because you sent me an interesting graphic in preparation for this so I would understand a little more. And when I looked at it, I'm thinking, wow, we could do several episodes on this potentially. But tell us about the inner game. What is it important for listeners early on in their career? Maybe they're just starting it. Maybe they're getting their first internship or maybe they're you know two, three, five years into it. What is important for that demographic to know? Yeah, so, you know, just some backdrop. One year, the California Society of CPAs that, you know, by the way, for any students who are listening, I always say that state societies is like Beta Alpha Psi for grownups. So if you love being part involved on campus, I would encourage you to get involved with like your state society because it's a way to still contribute and really get connected to like-minded and like similar values, people that want to make a difference. And so um, the California Society of CPAs asked me if I would speak and and one of the ideas that they had was to speak on the topic of career path during transformative times. And that got me really thinking like, well, what is transformative? What is transformation? And I was approaching it from the world of coach. So what people don't often understand about coaching or is misunderstood is they think that coaching, like professional coaching is different than like athletic coaching. So like an athletic coach, I mean, you just imagine you're watching an NFL game. They're on the sidelines. They're telling people what to do. They're yelling. Like that's not what professional coaching is. We don't tell people what to do. More often, we're guiding people through an inquiry, a process of inquiry. So they're really looking inside of themselves. Like, you know, Mark, you know you and your values and your aspirations and your colleagues and your clients better than anyone on on this planet. I can't tell you exactly what to do. But if I can support you to stop and look inside of yourself and really ask some tough questions that deepen your awareness, and then help you pair that with action, which is sort of the outer game, like the things that I want to do or I say are important to me, that's where real transformation comes to play. So inner game is really all about our thoughts, our feelings, our fears, some of them that we're conscious to, like, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to like look silly when I go on this interview, or I'm afraid to sell my services because people might 
you know, not think I'm that valuable, whatever, what people need to know. And, and I've given this talk before, and I have people that are from student all the way through partners with 20 something years of experience go like, wow, you understand I have fears, like you got my fear, right? We all have these fears. Sometimes we're conscious of them. Sometimes we're not, but they influence the way that we take up action or we don't take up action. So what are some of those fears that interns and entry-level staff and, you know, staff, first couple year staff have that they don't think anyone knows they have, but we really all do know that they have? <laughs> well, yeah, and we might know or we might have forgotten. You know, that's the other thing. Mm. I think sometimes you get so senior in your career, you forget what it was like to be at, at that moment. But I think when you're at sort of that student intern, it's really a fear of belonging. Like, are they going to accept me into their tribe? Uh, Do I have the right GPA? Am I saying the right things in the interview? Am I, you know, going to fit into this tribe? Will they accept me or not? And then once they're accepted into the tribe, then it's like, can I prove my value here? Do I really belong here? Are they going to want to keep me here? Am I smart enough, fast enough, good enough? So that's sort of like the inner game stuff. The other thing that I notice happens around this time is sometimes people are having what I like to call affectionately the quarter life crisis. And so that's why I mentioned earlier, like, hey, you know, I know now I was 25 once I started working, so I understood myself better. I ended up making a change pretty quick. But around the age 25, if you look at neuroscience, it's actually when the human brain matures and people start, if they're developing in terms of adult development, they start looking inside of themselves for their answers. So instead of saying, well, what should I choose as a major? And where's a good organization to work? And what do you think of this? They're asking less people and they're instead sort of looking inside of themselves. What will bring me joy? What will make me happy? Where do I want to live? What is the work that I want to do? So that's sort of the layers of the inner game that happen earlier in one's career. Interesting. If you don't write a book called Quarter Life Crisis, I swear, I'm going to start drafting it. I love that. Well, there is a good book out there. The title is like, it's about making the most of your 20s. I got to look it up and maybe we could put it as an addendum to this, but I recommend it to people in their 20s all the time because it's just really like helping them understand what you're going through is completely normal. And then when I give the speech, I tell people, and then at work, they become supervisors and we make them responsible for someone else. And they're like, but wait a minute, I'm just trying to figure out being responsible for my own self. I don't want to be responsible for someone else. So kind of tricky. (laughs) Definitely. I'm sort of going back in my notes and, and cleaning up a few items that I wanted to ask you about, and they're sort of fit individually, but you just hinted at this. What mistakes do you think that firms make with regards to developing staff? Or maybe what are firms just sometimes missing in general, you know, with regards to developing staff? Because we're on a podcast, yeah. and we're not talking about any one specific firm. You know, we can talk to the community at large. What are your thoughts there? There's a couple of things. I mean, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind right away for me is the billable hour. And to me, it's such an unwinnable game, right? Because if you do your job, 
really, really well and you're efficient and you're effective, you're actually indirectly penalized because you're not going to hit your billable hour number. And so I think it's fraught with problems. I think that's just one of it's an unwinnable game. Secondarily, the developmental conversations around something safe, which is a quantitative number, instead of really digging and probing and understanding, like what does somebody want? What's important to them? What's in the way? What do they need to get to the next level? Like a qualitative conversation would be so much richer. And then, you know, a common rebuttal I get is like, well, how will we measure people? And I'm like, how about you just go ask any industry position where they have accounting and finance or even an internal tax team and they don't do the billable hour? There's plenty of ways to do it. So I think that is just huge and people don't want to let it go. Years ago, I wrote an online article for the Journal of Accountancy called Retiring the the Billable Hour as a Measure of Performance. It ended up being one of the most popular articles of the year. And I will tell you, it was also the one where I got the most mail where people asked me to reconsider my position, which I thought was pretty interesting. People are just resistant to letting that go. Another thing I think is just that, you know, so much emphasis is put on the technical part early in somebody's career. And technical aspects are absolutely important. I don't I don't want to say that they aren't, but so is the non-technical. You know, so is learning how to take care of yourself and manage your well-being so that human beings are not and accountants are knowledge workers. So if you're grinding and you're working 12 hours straight and you're not getting any rest and not enough sleep, your brain is not going to perform at an optimal level. And so there's just things that we can learn from neuroscience about how does the human brain function and perform its best. And the way that the behaviors that you see in firms doesn't really align with that. I mean, how many times I send a message, an email, and I get out of office, it's like, well, I'm out of office, but I'll be checking email. I'll tell you last week, I got two out of office responses from managing partners that said, I'm on vacation for two weeks, and I am not checking email. And I wrote them both back to say, thank you. Like, thank you for being such a role model, because Americans in general aren't taking two weeks off email free and renewing themselves and really just, you know, taking care of themselves to come back recharge. And for somebody in that level in an organization to do that and set that tone, I think is remarkable. Mm, Wow, that is major. (laughs) There again, we could do a whole other episode probably on that. Yeah, I'll have to send you their name so you know who to be talking to. (laughs) Thank you. They may make a good future guest. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and we have the final three questions that I like to include on every podcast. But one last item that I wanted to ask you about, I'm a big proponent of certification, and in our pre-show call, you mentioned, I think the quote was, I had a breakdown while taking the CPA exam, and I may mm-hmm. be paraphrasing that a little bit. And No, so, that sounds right. Significant breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, now you have some more life experience behind you. For individuals going through that now, that, you know, they're trying to get certified now, and maybe they're feeling that way. I mean, what advice or what positive thoughts would you have for them? Yeah, I get chills when you ask me that. You know, I, like I mentioned, I did the exam and I did it years later. And I, when I did it, it wasn't because I thought, hey, I want to be an accountant and do some numbers. The reason I did it is that at the time, the state of California was 
having conversations about what classes should qualify for the 150-hour rule. And I wanted to have a seat at that table because I had done my master's in leadership and I was inspired and, you know, I really wanted people to take all this non-technical stuff. So I did it because I really wanted to have an impact on the profession in terms of how do we educate the whole person. And what I got from it, you know, was a lot of like, it was a challenge for me. I'd never failed anything before. And it really had me had to stop and kind of take a look inside at my inner game. And so that's what I would say for candidates who are struggling is know that there's going to be a gift in that experience. Know that and I actually, one of the things that I do and I partner with Intend to Lead on this is we do group coaching for people pass, that are struggling to pass the CPA exam. And we're never talking to them about technical topics. And usually like, well, what else is there? Where else can you make some shifts in your energy so that your performance and your potential is unleashed? And so what we're finding actually is that firms are paying for people. So they have people that have been there, you know, six to 10 years, a long time that can't pass the exam. Clearly, they're technically smart, but there's something else that's in the way. Maybe they're not effective at delegating. Maybe they're just really struggling because they're burned out because they've been working so hard and they like they can't take the concepts in because their brains are so tired. So I always, again, invite people to be like, well, what is the gift in this experience? I'm failing, but what else can I learn besides accounting topics? And those kinds of what else can I learn are things that are going to help them in all facets, I would say, of their life as well as their career. Thank you. Yeah, it is a big struggle for people, and passing the exam is sort of a solitary experience sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 it is, yeah. and that's the cool thing is when you bring people in a group, they realize like, oh, it's not me, or it's not, you know, I'm not the only one that's having a hard time, you know, managing my schedule in a matrix reporting environment, or I'm not the only one that's really like you know, feeling let down because I've failed something and I've never failed it before. There's magic to a group coaching experience because they get to hear from other people as well as like best practices for studying. And then me coach, I have people go deeper and help them stay accountable. If they tell me they're going to study 20 hours, I want to know every week. So that helps them too. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions. and, And so we probably better get to those. The first one's usually the easiest from a career perspective. What's been your proudest moment? I would say it actually happened this past year, and that was being recognized by the Cal CPA as a, as a woman to watch. You know, it was just a real nice opportunity for me to stop and pause and look back on my career and say, well, what are the things that I've done to contribute and why am I being recognized? And another thing that's kind of amazing about it is that I self-nominated myself. And I thought, you know, women, we're not, we're taught that we shouldn't promote ourselves, that we shouldn't brag or boast. And I wrote my own letter and I was like, hey, you know, as coach, like, I can't tell you because coaching's confidential. I can't tell you everything, but I could tell you some things. Like I'm the kind of CPA that people cry to. I'm the kind of CPA that I've been a wedding officiant for past clients. Like, I mean, I do all the other stuff in terms of, you know, educating people and coaching them and being involved in my state society, but there's another unique contribution that I bring. And so it was was very special to uh, be able to have that moment where I reflected on it, but also to be recognized for it. There you go. Well, just for the record, I think we've had other CPAs on the show that people have cried to. It's just it's probably for other reasons. <laughs> I get tears of joy and sadness. How's that? <laughs> 
there you go. <laughs> that is pretty special. It really is. Well, second question. Tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about exactly what the situation was, the better, of course. A lesson that I've learned the hard way, it's something that I also share with clients. It's this kind of saying that I have that like a choice today doesn't have to be a choice forever. And so I'm going to answer you with a specific thing, but one of the things that's really been helpful for me is that when I find myself in scenarios where I think, oh, I didn't make the best choice, I stop and go, well, what, what is really the learning in this for me? You know, I don't like where I'm at, but how did I get here and how do I make sure I didn't get here? And in ways I would say for me, taking the position with PWC as an internal coach, while I was so happy about it, it was a mistake for me. I mean, I was really happy. Like my ego loved it. Like 1300 people had applied and there were only 18 finalists and 12 positions. And I got an interview and, you know, I was joining a very prestigious firm and with real on a team of really brilliant people. But when I got there and I gave up having my own business and I was back being on salary and, and when you're on your own, like it takes time. You got to, you got to plant your garden and it takes a long time for your garden to grow. So it's hard to go back to being on your own and finding myself there going like, gosh, this isn't what I hoped it would be. It's not what I imagined. It's not fulfilling. It's a great job, but it's not a good job. You know, it's not a great job for Amber Setter. And like, I had to own that that was a little bit of a mistake for me, but also like, it was a great experience. I learned a tremendous amount when I was there. I coached some fantastic people. It also really got me clear on, hey, when I go back on my own, how do I have the best of all the worlds that I enjoy being in? There you go. Yeah, you just need a little more development time there to, <laughs> to really mm-hmm. get some clarity. That makes sense. So last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to share something that came up recently, and it, it was a little less advice as much as it was a statement, but it really resonated because I could tell that there was advice and wisdom in it. And it came from Loretta Dune, who is pretty prominent in the accounting profession. She was the CEO of the California Society of CPAs, and she's recently retired. But she shared with me, she said, you're not a CPA. We're sitting and having some tea. And uh, it's kind of one of those comments that makes me feel like I almost fell off my seat, but I took it in. And I think what she meant by that, because she knows me, I've been on a board. Um, She knows, you know, classes that I've taught for the education foundation and things that I'm up to, but I'm not, I'm really a coach. I'm a consultant. You know, we all make up stories about who we are and who we aren't. This is another conversation we could have about our identity and how we make it up and it drives, you know, the action that we take. But It was really helpful for me to hear that because I even went on LinkedIn. I took CPA off because it was, I felt like confusing. I've been debating if I should go active or inactive because I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars and hours on more coach training. And why should I get more technical accounting just to keep a license? You know, I'm not a CPA. I love the profession and and it's okay to make a pivot and a change because I think if I really spent my energy and not click and pop ups just to get some classes. I could invest that energy to do things that be, you know, in turn even more helpful to the profession. So I guess maybe in another way she was telling me to be authentic, be me. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, well with your background as a coach, that's really a, a great way to summarize this whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for that story. Yeah. 
Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet come out to the website, please do so. We have a tremendous amount of accounting career content for you, as well as a few related episodes, episodes on similar topics as Amber's that you may be interested in as well. Check us out at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, Amber, I really have appreciated your time. If someone wants to look you up and, and find out more about your coaching services and, and your background or, or your company, what's the best place to find you online? Yeah, it's Amber Sutter Coaching and you spell my last name S-E-T-T-E-R. And then I also collaborate with some friends over at Intendly. So that's where we do some group coaching on, you know, passing the CPA exam and business development. But that's a great place to find me, ambersettercoaching.com or intendtolead.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you as well to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week.